Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
Good morning, beautiful people. I want to thank you for joining me here on Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown, and I want to let you know that we are still in our fall fundraiser for KPOO. So I want to encourage you, please come together as the community, big or small donations are all welcome and absolutely necessary. Please send in your donations to KPOO PO Box 156650, San Francisco, California 94115. Also, you can make your donations online by going to KPOO.com. We have a beautiful show today. I also want to give a big shout out to our loved ones, family, and community members behind the walls and their families. We are going to be hearing from family members um, today, today, and I am going to start with the letter that I wrote to the Bureau of Prisons Director, Michael Carvajal, um, and why he denied Malik and I home confinement. You will hear uh, my name my given name as Tracy. All right, here we go. Dear Michael Carvajal, my name is Tracy Brown. Within the past couple of years, I have had the pleasure of welcoming into my world the life-changing event of becoming a friend, a partner, and a fiancé. When Keith Harry Washington returned after 13 years of confinement, we had anticipated a necessary transition time at 111 Taylor Street, run by Geo Group in San Francisco, California. Knowing that there is a process for re-entry, we assumed it would include support for the building of family connections sooner rather than later. It is disheartening to think that the BOP does not see the importance of allowing a recently returned loved one to start as quickly as possible towards that end. To my mind, the most basic aspect of securing a happy, fulfilling, and successful life starts at home. As Keith's fiancé, I imagined being able to prepare and eat meals together, providing physical nourishment and growth, being able to share thoughts and ideas at the beginning and end of our days, providing mental nourishment and growth, and being able to care, pray, and dream together, providing spiritual nourishment and growth, sooner rather than later. And what about my son? Why must he be deprived of a mentor, a man with principles, and a man of faith who represents resilience, gratitude, and the reason for second chances? My son is away at college in Santa Barbara, and while he may come home infrequently, How can he develop a relationship with the man he will call stepfather if he is deprived access to him? This also deprives Keith of the opportunity to develop those tools that will be so necessary when he begins to reestablish his relationships with his own estranged sons. I don't see how the BOP can claim to support the people in their care and truly wish for their success if they hinder one of the most important tenets of a successful return, the building and maintaining of family ties. Here's another point, Mr. Carvajal. Keith has employment, and after May 2021 has no federal supervision, and he is sober. So why at the end of a long, productive day must he go back to you while I am at home alone? This can't be what the BOP intends when they speak of rehabilitation and successful re-entry, is it? Lastly, do I really need to mention the health consequences of having Keith go back and forth between a congregate setting and work during this COVID-19 pandemic? We work in the same place, along with two elderly people in their 80s, And now it's come to my attention that you have released 18,000 people to home confinement. Is there a reason you've singled out my fiancé for denial? I ask that you grant him home confinement without delay. Respectfully, Tracy Brown. And now we're going to listen to the family members, Thelma and Anthony, uh, speaking on their loved one. Uh, Good morning, Thelma and Anthony. Good Good morning. 
All right. Thank you so much for being here. Thelma, we're going to go ahead and start with you. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? And, um, and then, Anthony, I would like for you to introduce yourself, and we'll go ahead and start with you, Thelma, to just tell us um, what you, you know, what you want the listeners to hear, um, what's going on with you, and what's going on with your significant other, Joseph. Um, hi. Yeah, good morning. Um, my name is Thelma, and I'm um, advocating for... Um, my significant other that is um, incarcerated at um, Delano Prison in um, Kern County, um, he actually um, was sentenced to 19 years for one robbery as a juvenile. And um, I feel like he was um, unfairly sentenced with so much Time, you know, not even um, given the opportunity to rehabilitate or anything like that. And um, now, you know, laws are being changed and things like that. Hopefully we can get home, him home here soon. Um, COVID is spreading like wildfire there. Um, people are sick. They're on lockdown. And it just seems like it's... Um, inhumane there, conditions there, um, and, uh, pr um, you know, people that um, are at the prison are, um, you know, dying, you know, um, from this deadly virus that is going around um, for um, crimes that they probably shouldn't still be incarcerated for and, um it's just heartbreaking knowing um, and um, knowing that that type of uh, thing is going on here in uh, the 21st century still. So, yeah, there needs to be a change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Thank you for that. Um, we'll definitely dive in a little bit more um, on some of the things that you brought out there. Anthony, um, I would love for you to introduce yourself and... Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Just yes. Let it thank you. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to let my voice be heard, and uh, I'm very thankful for uh, Joseph's significant other, his friend, who has contacted my family on numerous days to have me reach out to you guys too to give you the true and uncut story. You know, she she knows as much as he's able to give her, and with his him being unable to call home as much as he's supposed to, you know, she only knows so much, but um, he's been in prison 10 years for one robbery, no gun, nobody harmed, you know, uh, he's in court actually right now for Franklin, that been, uh, juvenile Franklin hearing that been going on almost two years. He's, uh, it, recently in November, he was, uh, his lawyer put in a motion for resentencing so he goes to court January 21st on that behalf, but now uh, his lawyer has been in the hospital for three weeks. So, you know, we praying for him. We don't know how that's going to play out. But on the other end, you know, everything that's going on with this COVID stuff inside the prisons, uh, them bringing infected inmates on purpose to the prison, you know, them not even letting them call home every day, the visits, them not giving them their food on time. All type of stuff, man, that's going on. And it's like, you know, 
My brother wasn't sentenced to life in prison. I got nephews in prison. I have I have brothers, uncles, and and other siblings in prison. This is not just on behalf of Joseph. This is on behalf of all my family, all my friends. You know, all the people who who didn't you know uh, molest a woman or rape a kid or any of those type of crimes. You know, the people right, just right. think that their family or have their or have to you know or didn't have a choice in life and was forced to be raised in a certain area and was raised around gangs and all that, you know, they all were kids. Everybody didn't have the choice to, you know, take a certain route or was forced a certain route. So, you know, and these are like, and he wasn't, for me to hear my brother like, man, I didn't come to prison to die, man. Like they trying to kill me and this, this and that. That's like, that, that hurts. And it's like, you know, all the money in the world, can't even get a person out who doesn't have life. Like, no matter what lawyer you get or none of that, all the times you go to court, like, judges denying habeas corpus, all this stuff we've been through on, on, on behalf of all my family. And it's like, it's, who do we, who do we reach out to? What help do we get? Like, like, right. how do we get a home? They're stuck in an area where in a situation to where, like, yes, it's bad for the whole world, but just imagine in prison. You can't go nowhere. You can't do nothing. Just last, what, three weeks ago, the whole dorm tested negative. Uh, two weeks ago, when they tested everybody, half of the dorm did not test. And the ones that did test, everybody came back positive. So does that sound like they put something in them or what? Mm. So we don't know what's going on. We just know we're trying to get our family home and those who are in the same boat as them, you know. Mm-hmm. We just want the best, the best help. You know, and uh, uh, that we can get, man, to help our family get home. Yeah, and they're, you know, the labor, like how they're having, um, how they have, like, the prisoners working for pretty much for free. You know, they're getting free labor out of them. It's just the system needs to uh, be reevaluated, you know, and, um, yeah. It's kind of like it's kind of like it's kind of like it's kind of like I was talking to him. He did gave him a phone call about last week sometime. Uh, it's basically like the COs are are basically first they were putting them all on one yard. If you had the if you had the COVID, you would go to one of the yards on, on at the prison. Everybody would be in one building. Now they're saying since all the yards are infected, like if you get infected, you stay in the cell with your silly whether he has it or not. And basically. Uh, they started to, they, uh, I guess in one of the prisons I was reading online, they started to try to have people sign liability forms. Mm-hmm. Like basically sign your life off. If you die in prison, we're not held responsible. But how aren't you held responsible when nobody had COVID at this prison and you guys intentionally brought 10 inmates that you knew was positive to this prison and now it's over 200 and some cases within a week. And the COs are bringing it in because they don't wear masks around there. They don't give them disinfected or none of that. He doesn't even eat state food. He don't let the trainers come in and sell or nothing. And they and they just missed store for a whole month. So it's like he didn't even eat. He does because he's not going to risk. Like he's really scared. And that's kind of scary for me at 31, a grown man being scared like that. He's never going to see his son, never going to see us. And like he didn't, he didn't, he didn't go to prison to die. Like he didn't kill nobody. And even if he did, it, it just, you don't know the circumstances of that. So it's not even on behalf of somebody who may have been in that situation. I feel as long as you didn't rape a kid or rape a woman or any of those type of circumstances, then you don't deserve to be in jail, though. 
and and all of the things that they're doing, they don't give like one care about nobody in there. It's like, and I mean, we don't know what's going on. We only could go off of what they're telling us. But I know after 10 years of my brother being in prison, he ain't never cried the way he had these past few times he had called me. So now it's like, it doesn't matter the amount. Like if I can get assistance with some type of lawyer that can assist him when he go to court, that can get him an expedited uh, immediate release on behalf of all my family, then the money is nothing. Any help you guys can help us with, whatever. And we also trying to get help for it's a couple people in there. Like he has asthma. His cell he has COVID. He's in the cell with <clears throat> I don't know if he still has I don't know two weeks ago he had it, but they would not move him or none of that. So when they came around to test, they refused to test him. But they didn't move him or nothing. So it's like you have a a uh inmate who has asthma and he's in the cell with the person who has COVID, he catches this and dies. Like, what's, what's going on? You guys don't do nothing about it? it? It was something else that I wanted to say. Like, it's just, it's, it's a whole lot of family, but it's a lot of people that can't speak out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just like it's people in there, like you said, that's sick. It's people that's dying in prison. It's people mm-hmm. that, that die, like, and they're not even telling families or none of that. You know, then they got these, these, uh, like shoe house, they put out these advertisements for help, but then they don't even contact people or none of that. And actually, Joseph had turned into a commutation. Him and uh, my nephew, I have a nephew in Lancaster, and they both turned into commutation January and in June to Governor Newsom and haven't heard nothing back. The Ella Baker, they have many letters from her. She's an activist, I think, in Oakland, and uh, she's been trying to help them. She wrote a letter to the DA forum back in February. She didn't got that governor Newsom sent copies of their stuff and it's nothing being done. Like and these are like I said, these are not lifers. These are they didn't did over fifty percent of their time. They have rehabilitated, they have diplomas and, and trades and all type of stuff like that. Kids would go to jail and, and rehabilitate. They didn't go in there and turn into druggies or worse or people like mm-hmm. so you know, to hear their voice or to give them a second chance, there's, there's many of them, though. It's not just my family. Like, it's many of them. There's so many bright, intelligent people behind these walls, man. And, like, y'all, they just, like, really don't really care. Like, it's like they could, they don't care if they died in there. It's not their family. You know, they feel they criminals. They did a crime. Oh, well. Whoever died, died. Whoever make it, make it. Hmm. And not only is a Joseph who represent, like you, uh, both of you are saying, represent thousands, thousands of people that are locked behind, uh, behind these bars, inside these cages. They are also, they are family members, and I understand that Joseph has a son. Yes, he yes. does. He has, he has a nine-year-old son that's turned 10 next month hmm. that loves his dad to death, you know, and Due to circumstances, he, uh, you know, he never even spent a day in his life. But, you know, through family, parents, and us, you know, being the support that we are, you know, he has, he has been in his life through his nine years, but that's not the way he's supposed to raise his son because he's not a dad. He's a great young, intelligent man. And he just made mistakes as a kid, man, that he would never uh, come out and do again, repeat, and that he wants to give back to society just all his conversations, you know. I'm, I'm 40 years old, you know, from watching my little brother come from where he came from to where he came from to see where he at now. I'm, I'm 
man, there's no words that can explain how proud of him I am. And I'm just ready to see him put into action. And just by the way he speaks, I know he this is the life he want to live. So I'm, I'm going to do whatever I have to do. I got to give up every dime to make sure him and everybody come home. That's what I'll do. Thelma, is there, um, is there anything that you wanted to, to, to add to this, what this means being, um, significant, the significant other? Um, this, like you were saying, this is a reality for, um, a lot of people and, um, I feel, I feel for, um, Joseph, um, like um, Anthony was stating, um, of course, his son, um, his uh, mother, of course, um, that has been by his side this whole time. And just um, the more and more I, I um, experience life, the more and more I can't believe that um, uh, people are able to uh, be treated this way and um, I really, um, we're not going to stop um, fighting for Joseph to come home. Um, hopefully, like um, Anthony says, he um, makes it uh, through um, COVID because his um, one of his families has it, tested positive for it. Yeah, that's, that's basically it. The main thing is that we just want the people to know family to know that who aren't in contact with their family, you know. CEOs is passing out food, no mask. CEOs is searching sales, no mask. Uh they doing yard searches when somebody drops a kite and then people come up with COVID. They talk about they don't know how to come in here. They're the ones bringing it in there to them. They're the only ones that get to go home every single day. Then they had the person that's giving them the test was the same person infected the whole time. Right. It's going to make well, no it, sense. Like, it, this is crazy. It is. It's painful, and it is It, it is heartbreaking, and it is unfortunately um, the symptom of this prison industrial slave complex. I don't think it knows any other way than to to dehumanize and um, and dismiss the people that are supposed to be under their care. Um, I don't think they really... They don't know how to care, and so the burden then becomes on them inside and the family members out here, and that's what I'm hearing from you. But what I'm also hearing from you is this incredible, um, you know, the commitment, that love of your family, you are keeping your humanity, and you will fight. Yeah, but we can never forget um, mm -hmm. about uh, the, uh, the injustice that are going on in the world because it, um, it happened to Joseph. That could have been... Um, a brother of mine or of my father or anyone, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, if we let this go on, it can happen to anyone, you know, and mm -hmm. we definitely have to, to take a stance. And this is definitely the time if, if, if any time were to come to take a stance, um, at this very moment. Well, thank you for letting our voices be heard into the world for 
anybody, any family members, you know, that can assist mm -hmm. in, in a civil uh, lawyer, a criminal lawyer. Right. We're looking like for said, a lawyer. It's not just for him, it's for everyone. Once he gets the, once we get the info for him, he will pass it to his fellow inmates, the ones who deserve it. But, you know, we're just trying to get help, man, in every way and uh, support all those who deserve it, man. We're not just for just our family. It's for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, we're looking for a civil, um, civil lawyer. So um, if anyone can help out with that or knows any um, lawyer, they can get in contact with you and you'll for sure let us know. Definitely. So anybody that's listening, you can always reach me at newbay at sfbayview.com if you have any leads. Um, we are talking about a humanitarian crisis here. We are talking about fighting for justice for the people that are inside. Um, these are family members that are speaking up. Thank you so much, Thelma. Thank you so much, Anthony. Um, again, it takes so much courage that, yes, this isn't, this is about all of us and we need to do this together. Um, so thank you both, uh, Thelma and Anthony. Thank you so much, really, for sharing your story. Thank you and very much. We really appreciate you, um, and um, I hope some people give me uh, reach out, uh, hear this, be inspired. Let's take action together um, because together we are so much more powerful. Let's not stay isolated. Let's not be helpless. Um, this isn't about one person, as Thelma and Anthony have said. It is about thousands of other family members of someone. Yes. Thank you again, Salma and Anthony. Thank you so much for this opportunity. We greatly appreciate it. All right. If you are just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio, and I am your host, Nube Brown. Today, we are listening to the voices of the family members and loved ones of those on the inside. And we are going to take a quick musical break and then come back with Liz speaking on Afuma, who is the subject of our focus for Liberate Our Caged Elders. I know they see you when they want you. I know they see you when they want to make you who they want you to be. I know that life is trying to get you I know that life is calling out to you by your name But don't listen, resist it, keep running Don't just stop for nothing, just keep kicking Remember where you came from, don't forget what you already know What you got is amazing, hold it, don't you let it go You hold the light, you hold the light You hold the light and it's shining and making darker places brighter You light up. You hold the light, you got a light You bring a light, you bring a light and it's shining Thank you. 
feel delusional. I bet you know I'm ready. Situations will approach you, and opportunities to fade shade and downgrade will provoke you. And those you trust will start to turn to. So never pay too much attention to the things they say they won't do. And you gotta be persistent. And believe me, you ain't see much. It's just the beginning. My walk is slow to speaking, but be quick to listen. Be mindful, you be vigilant and pay attention. Because you hold the light, you hold the light, you hold the light. And it's shining and making darker places brighter. You light up. You hold the light, you got the light. You bring the light, you bring the light. And it's silent and they can see it. They won't end it, but it's not for the taking. It's not for the changing, though. It's not for remixing. It's not for remaking, all right. So they're lining up to take it, all right. I can't let them take my you. You know I write for you. I won't let them take you. I won't let them. I won't let them take you. I'll be your protection. I'll be your direction, yeah. I'll be your protector. You know I write. I fight for you. No need to worry about them let me downs. You can count them in the stink the moment you let me round. I torched it, scream shouted and forced it to move off that groove and made on the porch of your heart. I knew from the start it was gonna be wars. The crowns we fighting for. The thought of you free from danger, hurt, fear, depression, and anger, confusing rage and pain galore. Got me out here with my tools up, fighting with what I could use up. Lyrics on tracks with music, yeah the pain came and the rain fell down, but I maintained through the skirmish. I love you, and you're worth it. Yeah, you could be anything to them, but to me, you're perfect. I fight for you. I'm right for you. I'm here on purpose. Thank you so much, Liz, uh, for you know agreeing to to uh, say a little bit about Ifuma and really just help to to highlight um, and highlight him and what we are doing for the Liberate Our Caged Elders uh, campaign. So I would love for you to tell, just introduce yourself to the audience, um, our listeners, and and then um, please tell us how you got to know Ifuma. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Nube. So my name is Liz, and I'm born and raised in Oakland, California. And I have had the privilege of knowing Ifoma over the past, I want to say, almost three years. We got connected through a dear mutual friend of ours and started writing letters. Uh, and just immediately, it was like, wow, this is my kindred spirit, you know, just such a feeling of deep connection and warmth and really someone who I knew would be a lifelong friend. Mm. And that's exactly what has happened. Um, and I see Ifoma as chosen family and really 
you know, through our connection and our shared passion around politics and history and also education, I think is a huge thing that bonds us both in similar and very different experiences, right? Um, Mm -hmm. We both really had a hard time academically in school, particularly in high school, and where I was expelled and ended up having numerous situations happen in my life during that period of time where I could have become incarcerated um, because of my whiteness and class privilege. I was afforded endless second chances and more educational opportunities to have support. Um, and Ifoma is so passionate about young people and supporting and mentoring young people and being able to find their paths wherever they are in that process and really about expanding access to education and all forms of access to folks, particularly who have been marginalized and left out of those conversations and um, who currently maybe don't have a seat at that table. So Ifoma is definitely someone who, no matter what challenge he's going through, he always talks about others and lifts other people up and is always working to bring people along with him. And that's something I treasure about him and his spirit and how he moves through the world. Ooh, that is, yes, that is so beautiful. And so much of what you're saying, I have certainly know that about Ifoma as well. Um, that is just so wonderful. I want to ask you, uh, were you, what was your relationship with prisoners before you met Ifoma? Absolutely. So I, when I was in college, um, I participated in an amazing program at the Evergreen State College up in Olympia, Washington called Gateways for Incarcerated Youth. And really, it was my experience as a white person growing up in the Bay Area and, right, having all of these times where I was kicked out of school, I had been arrested, and still, um, I just was receiving support and second chances and did not become incarcerated. That is what really fueled me to a lifetime commitment of wanting to work towards everyone having access and alternatives um, to incarceration and really to bring people home. And so in the Gateways for Incarcerated um, Youth program, it was a year of our college classes that were in a maximum security youth prison. And all of us as peers co-created the curriculum together We acted as co-teachers and co-learners in that space using popular education. And it was a life-changing experience. And those relationships that I developed in that program really changed my life. And I have loved ones who are out now, which I celebrate every day, uh, and also have some loved ones who are still inside, who I'm still connected to and working with. Um, and so when I moved back to Oakland and back to the Bay and was putting my roots back down, had the opportunity um, to get connected to EFOMA and to really continue that work locally. And so that kind of 
expands that personal deep relationship and also the advocacy work that I do in community as well. Wow. You know, thank you for having such a big heart, Liz. Wow. Just the, uh, clearly, we're going to have to have also a deeper, longer conversation about you. <laughs> <laughs> this is so beautiful. Um, and then uh, lastly, I wanted to ask you, when you were first introduced to Ufama, did you know his history about um, his involvement in the hunger strikes, um, his involvement in being one of the uh, designers or architects of the agreement to end hostilities, his, his solitary confinement? Did you know any of that before you, you were introduced to him? Yeah, our mutual friend shared a little bit about that. Um, and, you know, really in developing that relationship with EFOMA and building mutual understanding and trust, I also wanted him to feel that he could share his own story with me whenever he felt the moment was right and felt safe to. Mm -hmm. um, so I never asked because for mm -hmm. me also, you know, it really is just about this like deep loving friendship where we dream together and create together and laugh together. And certainly also a deep part of what binds us is, you know, our worldview and our values mm -hmm. uh, and the amazing work that Ifoma has done and continues to do in the community to support others um, and to really do everything he can to support his community. So that. Mm -hmm something that I just really admire and respect about him. Fantastic. And uh, did you, uh, I guess uh, one more lastly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you, um, did you want to uh, say, um, I know that a lot of these um, men and women, they, they do this work and sometimes it has a, a program title and sometimes it doesn't. It's just the work that they do um, because, of, like you said, the people like Ufuma, they do it because they do it the way that they do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are there any programs that you wanted to name or anything like that that you wanted to just highlight, lastly, of Ufuma's work? Yeah, from my own work or from uh, Ufuma's work. From Ufuma's work. Oh, absolutely. So Ifoma, you know, is a beautiful, talented writer mm -hmm. and has written for Uncommon Dreams and has published a few op-ed pieces, including one a few years back on the importance of bringing back Pell Grants for incarcerated people to have access to quality education, um, which just goes back to his, his commitment towards education access as well as a beautiful piece on um, on this really difficult time with COVID. Um, and then also a powerful piece on his own experience surviving solitary confinement for 38 years. Um, so those are some of, of the work that IFOMA does in addition to connecting with young people in the community and writing and corresponding with a lot of different organizations and community leaders um, is one way that he continues to do that work as well. All right, Liz, thank you so much, um, really just for, for sharing your heart, sharing your passion, and, and um, sharing this beautiful friendship that you have. So I thank you so much, Liz, for thank taking you. this time with me today. Thank uh, you, Dave, and for all okay. the work that you do.
Uh, for you too, Liz. All right. We'll talk again soon. Thank you so All much. All right. Thank you. And now we will hear from Casper, a prisoner at a Supermax prison in Colorado. Hello. How are you, Casper? I'm making the best of you. I'm doing okay. All right. Well, just know that, you know, we got you out here and um, totally support what it is that you're doing. And I'm just going to leave it to you to just go ahead, introduce yourself and say what it is that you want the people to know. All right. Uh, everybody call me Casper. My name is Gordon Johnson. Um, I'm currently serving a 64-year sentence for a nonviolent dope case. Um, Sterling Correctional Facility in, in Colorado. Um, for the last five years, I shared a cell with a dude who became like my brother. His name was Daniel Richard Villa. And uh, November 15th was my birthday, and he was fine. November 15th, everything was good. We were on lockdown for uh, an outbreak of uh, COVID-19 here in um, Sterling Correctional Facility. We were locked down 23 hours and a half out of every day, so we were allowed 30 minutes out for showers and phones. And uh, I believe it was on, oh, and every Monday, we would, they would come through, the nurses would come through, and they would do COVID testing every Monday. Um, let me see. So, my birthday was on the 15th. Everything was good. On uh, November 18th, I believe, um, my celly, Ricky, the guy I'm talking about, uh, he started, uh, having, um, symptoms. He was sick, uh, it was gradually getting worse, but because we, we received the COVID test and it came back negative or... At least they never uh, they never said anything to him about being positive, so we assumed it was negative. Um, we figured it was just a common flu or something, and so he uh, he said he wanted to fight it. And the reason why um, this is this is imperative that people understand this. Um, the uh, the way things work around here is if you're sick or if you come up positive. They will uproot you from where you've been living and they will move you into another location with somebody whom you might be unfamiliar with or you might be familiar with. And what's crazy about it is that sometimes you have people who are asymptomatic, like I was. Initially, I didn't have any symptoms. Um, and they, I'm living with somebody who has these symptoms, so it's only a matter of time before I end up positive, but they'll put me in a cell with somebody who else who might not be positive. And so they actually uh, help facilitate the spread of this particular virus because they're moving people all around instead of just keeping them in the same spot. And so anyway, uh, let me see. So it was on a Monday. We got tested. We came back negative. His symptoms continued to get worse throughout the week. Uh, that following Monday, we got tested again, and they still didn't alert us or they didn't say anything to us about the test. I don't know if they 
if they found it to be positive or not I, I, until later we found out later on we found out but uh man it's kind of hard for me to talk about but um so anyway he per, he, per, he progressively got worse and I believe it was on a Friday they popped our doors the cell doors and allowed us our 30 minute pod time or a little shower time and phone time if you will and uh, so as routine, I tell I tell Richie, my celly, I say, hey, man, I got to use the bathroom before I get in the shower. And uh, he was like, all right, yeah, 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 I got you, I got you. And he hopped up and he put his he put his shirt on and he exited the cell and he sat down in a chair right outside of the door. And, you know, everything was normal to my eyes. I didn't see anything, you know, unusual about it. So anyway, I, I cracked the door. I used the bathroom, whatever. When I got done, um, the police were, they were huddled around him. He had passed out and started having a seizure in the chair. And uh, they were trying to bring him back to at least some level of, you know, I mean, uh, coherent understanding or, I don't know. They were trying, they were trying to bring him back. And um, he became conscious briefly. This is the sad part about it, man, because uh, they asked him, they said, do you know who you are? He said, yeah, I'm in Sterling. He said, do you know who he is? And they pointed at me, and he was like, yeah, 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 that's my guy, that's my celly. Um, that, that's, I live with him. And so they called the people from medical to come down. They brought the stretcher, and I'm standing there listening to their line of questioning, and they're asking them, they're saying, uh, you know what I mean? Have you ever had seizures? Do you have a history of seizures? You know what I mean? Is there any of this seem familiar to you? And he was like, nah. And so they tell him, they say, well, there's really not anything that we can do for you right now. You kind of have to let this run its course. And I was like, man, I had to interject. I told him, I said, man, look, man, dude, lips is purple, dude. Tongue is purple. Like, he can't even hardly talk straight. It ain't right, man. Look, dude. You, you can't possibly say that you think it would be best to leave him here. But the med tech or whatever, the guy who was there, he, he says, well, all right, I guess we could take you up there and take your vitals, right? And so, I mean, they, they, they asked, he, he was like, all right, well, yeah, let's go do that. Let's just go see, take some blood work or see something. You know what I mean? Anything, tell me something. That's, that's, that's basically where he was at. And they were like, all right, well, well, come on, can you walk under your own volition? He was like, nah, man, I, I can't, I can't move, man. So they had to put him on the stretcher. And I'm telling you, man, when he laid down on that stretcher and he looked up, he locked eyes with me. Man, it was like, uh, it was like he knew, man. It was like he knew this was it. And he, man, he looked me in my eye, man. And he wouldn't look away until they until they pushed the stretcher. When they moved him, man, it was like, man, that shit was so heartbreaking, bro. I told him, I said, man, look, I said, come on back, Rich, come on back. It, it's gonna be alright, man. We gonna make it through, man. Come on back. I ain't never seen him again, man. I never seen him again. And I found out, uh, let me see, 13 days after he, they took him that he had passed, and uh. You know what's crazy? He was in here on a non-violent dope case like mine. They gave 96 years executive instead of concurrent. Gave 96 years on a non-violent dope case. Died in here, man.
He died in here 12 years. He did, he did 12 years and died in here, man. And he ain't even get to say goodbye to his people or nothing, man. And shit was over. Casper, I'm... And I miss him, man. I'm so sorry. Yeah, they say this is life, though, right? You know what I mean? It's just, if you got money, if you come from money, it works out different for you. If you ain't got shit, you come from the slums, you come from the gutter, boy. Man, it's all a different story that way. Same thing with sentencing in the courts and everything, man. If you come from money, you're good. I'm telling you, you can do anything. Look at Trump. And this is a scoundrel. He, at least... Momentarily, I mean, his bid's almost up, man. They're gonna come see about him too, but I mean, come on, man, put things in perspective, man. Like that fool Karl Marx was right, man. When he when 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 he broke out the concept of classism, man, he was right. There's a clear divide between the have and the have not. Man, I lost it. I lost it, brother. Man, I lived with that dude five years, man. I'm telling you, in one day, he was cool. I'm telling you, on the 15th of November, man, we was laughing. Everything was cool. Kicked in, man. It wasn't even two weeks, man. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Anyway, that's the story, Miss Lady. Casper, I just, I have to say that... I really appreciate you, your courage, and just sharing yourself, your humanity, your 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 story, your situation with us, because I think it is so important for us to know that there are friends behind the walls, and there are people that love inside, that love each other, they're trying to care for each other. I really appreciate you you sharing that with us. You know, man, this 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 debacle that the the, na- the whole nation is dealing with this, man. It's not, you know, it's not a. I mean, everybody's dealing with it, man. Even the people who somehow believe this shit's a hoax. I mean, like everybody's dealing with it, and so. Like, I don't, I don't harbor any ill feelings towards these people for what happened with my brother, man. Like, he had a choice to make, you know. He, he chose, you know what I mean, to try to ride it out, you know what I mean? And, he, you know what I mean, things probably would have turned out differently had, had it, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. I just think it was a bad that everybody's dealing with these people, too. I mean, like, who has a game plan for this? Nobody has a game plan for this, man. Not even the administration. It was the White House. Man, the Trump administration didn't even have a game plan. All he wanted to do was say it was going to magically disappear. I don't know, man. Anyway, though, I ain't going to take up too much more time. But I wanted to ask you, why do you think, though, um, Richie wanted to ride it out? Is, is, is it safe to say, to tell people that you're having um, um, some medical issues? Nah, 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 because you don't know how it alters your path to trajectory, if mm. you will. Like, 
like the moves that they make are so sporadic. Like you don't know where you're gonna move or who you're gonna move with. You don't. And he was he was already sick at the time, and so he didn't have the energy to pack all his up and move it halfway across the yard or wherever they was gonna move him. And so he he was he was uh, rigidly fearful of being told that he would have to pack up and move into a different situation. And so that alone prevented him from from reaching out and trying to find help because it was just so it's just it's just I mean, he didn't want him he didn't want to move, man. And he knew as soon as he went and told them people that he was sick that they were gonna pack him up and he was gonna have to go through God knows what, you know what I mean? And so he was like he would just rather just try to tough it out. You know what I mean? That's really the saddest thing about it, man. It's like if they weren't doing this crazy with the moves or whatever, I mean, like he would have, he would have went and said something about being sick. You know what I mean? And right. I know he would have. He told me he was like, man, I just don't want to move, bro. I, I can't, I, I can't go through it right now. I'm like, all right, well, if it gets any worse, you're probably gonna have to tell him. And he was like, yeah, all right, whatever. You know what I mean? Right now, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. So I was like, all right, man. And she got so bad, man, where he couldn't come back from it. Well, and then you you were going through it with him because did yeah. you I mean, you ran the risk of of catching it as catching COVID as well and you know, I mean that's that's a serious friendship. That's a serious bond of friendship. I ended up with it though. That uh that Friday they moved him out. That very next, that very next morning they called in there and they told me to pack my. I was moving, and I was like, well, "Okay, so I'm moving. Why? I haven't heard anything about a test or anything." And they mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, we got a confirmation that you tested positive for COVID mm-hmm. on uh, Monday, that previous Monday." And so we're talking about Saturday morning from Monday, and they moved him out on a Friday. Saturday morning I moved. I got moved for testing positive, so that was like four or five days after they took the test. Okay. How are so, you doing uh, now? Or have you, have you um, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I had, I had symptoms, man. They ran their course. I mean, I'm good. I'm, I'm in relatively good shape. And I mean, I lost time with Alan, man. I mean, he's the creator of all. I mean, he, he's, you know, he's always been there for me. I mean, he's always pulled me through. I don't, I don't even know why he's there for me, but he, he pulled me through this one too. So I mean, I'm grateful for that. Okay. Grateful for that. Casper, thank you so much. Um, I'm so sorry for your loss, and I can't even really imagine what it is that you're going through. But, and with all of that, that you're sharing that with us is just. I'm so grateful and it's just really beautiful and know that, um, you know, um, we have you out here. There's a lot of support and love for people like you and, uh, that are going through this. So I want to thank you. I appreciate you. Okay. Inshallah ta'ala, man. Things work out. Nah, it goes, man. I mean, I believe that there's a divine ordinance. There's a, I'm just waiting for the rain to dry up, man. That's all. It's all good. We'll be all right. Okay. Hey, it was good talking to you, shorty.
Okay. Thank you. It was wonderful talking with you too, Casper. Please take yes, continue to take care. Okay. You too. Take care of yourself. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. I'm so humbled by what Casper just shared. When I think about the destructive stigma that is attached to prisoners, when I hear heard just so much love, forgiveness, the importance of a friendship. He lost a friend. And it's affected him so much that he's willing to, to speak out and share from a place that really tries very hard to keep people from feeling. We have so much to learn here. I will, I will never apologize for creating space for these stories from Thelma and Anthony, Casper, and Liz speaking about Ifuma and the thousands of others that don't have a voice. We have so much to learn. We are doing this all wrong. Um, with that, I just, I don't want to spend too much time with my words. But please remember that there are people behind the walls. I know many of you that are listening know this. We have to find more ways to get this out. And I hope you will be so humbled and so moved to, to be unapologetic in our support of the people behind the walls and their families. These people are dying and people are getting sick and, and people are in pain and people are stressed and they are a part of our community. There are two things that I can encourage you to do right now. Call the governor at 916-445-2841. You are his boss and demand that he release our elders. You can also uh, get in touch with the Liberate Our Caged Elders social media campaign by using the hashtag Liberate Our Caged Elders and going to the website at liberatecagedvoices.wixsite.com slash site. Also, Tune in every Thursday evening at 5 p.m. to KPFA with the, and hear the fabulous new collaboration between Dennis Bernstein of Flashpoints and Malik Washington of the SF Bayview as they talk about the uh, prison issues, prisoners, and the issues of what's going on inside, not only in California, but throughout the nation as well. Every Thursday, 5 p.m., that's tonight, people. Tune in. Please remember to take care of yourselves, count your blessings, find anything to be grateful for, breathe, and in your self-care, please remember your humanity. We must be steadfast in the fight for our humanity so that we can lift up the humanity within each other, work in Ubuntu. Thank you again for joining me this morning. I love you. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer.